Good afternoon. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's my first time in Hamburg. Uh, actually, my first time in Germany, and so I'm very excited to speak with all of you today. Uh, whenever I go uh, to speak, I'm often given an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, thank God he doesn't have that much time today. Um, so it's going to be tough uh, to say all I have to say in 20 minutes, but I'll do my best. I'll leave you with a couple of ideas today from our book uh, that we recently published. And hopefully they'll provide sort of a framework uh, for you to take with um, so you can begin to assess uh, innovation and how we think about it. Uh, but before I start, uh, some of you might recognize uh, the guy on the screen. Uh, his name is Clayton Christensen. So I've heard the word disruption or disruptive innovation used a few times uh, during this conference. Uh, so in 1997, uh, he wrote the book on disruption. So he sort of came up with the terminology disruptive innovation. I was fortunate to uh, take his course uh, while I went to business school. And after the course, um, he came up to me and said, you know, Ifolsa, what if we take some of the ideas in this course um, on innovation and apply it to global development? Um, as we heard from Pyle, um, there's a very big difference between how many countries uh, in the world, uh, people in many countries lead their lives uh, versus how they live here. And so the question we were trying to to answer with our book was, um, how can innovation play a role in helping people lead more prosperous lives? And um, that uh, ended up in, in the book called The Prosperity Paradox. So these are the three main ideas I'll leave with you today. Uh, the first is that there is what we call a consumption economy and a non-consumption economy. And I'll explain that here short, shortly. The second is the word innovation is used a lot, uh, but what does it really mean? Now, what types of innovations are there? Um, and are there specific types of innovations uh, that can have a transformative impact on um, not just organizations uh, to create new growth engines, uh, but also on economies to create inclusive prosperity? And the third is a small project that uh, we're beginning to work on at the Christensen Institute called the uh, Market Creating Innovation Lab. And so um, without further ado, I'm just going to uh, kick right in. So when we think about the economy, it's often sort of a, a hodgepodge of different things, right? We think about the government, we think about the private sector, think about healthcare, education, and all these things. Um, but we think about the economy a bit differently. It's grouped into um, consumption uh, and non-consumption, so, sort of two sides uh, of the economy. And if these three circles represent um, different populations in, in an economy, the smallest one is the, the, the smallest circle essentially represents those in an economy that have the most wealth and the most access, right? Because wealth uh, oftentimes buys you access. So you have access to the best schools, the best housing, the best education, the best leisure, the best technologies. 
when most companies or industries start, uh, they often start uh, by targeting consumers in the smallest circle, those that have the most uh, wealth. And then as the circles get progressively larger, you get more and more people, but they have fewer and fewer uh, wealth. And so they have fewer and fewer uh, access. Now what we found is that in those uh, bigger circles, uh, there's a ton of what we call non-consumption. Now these are people who would benefit from using a product or a service. They benefit from getting access to it, but due to many things that are beyond their control, they don't have access. Okay. And so if, if you begin to think about it, why don't they have access? Oftentimes it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just money, right? We think oh, they're just too poor to access these products. But really there are four barriers to consumption. There are four barriers that cause people not to have access uh, to these things. The first is just simply access. It's not available. I'm originally from Nigeria. And um, early in the year, our president uh, got sick. Um, and how many people in this room know wh which country he came to for health care? Uh, yeah? Germany. Okay, so he flew from Nigeria, the president, all the way to Germany to get uh, access to uh, good doctors. Money was not the problem, right? Time wasn't the problem, it was access. There weren't this, the doctors in the country that could, um, that could essentially get him uh, treated. Now think about the millions of people in Nigeria uh, for whom don't have that opportunity, right? To hop on a plane, leave their jobs for a couple of months and uh, fly to Germany. So that's access, the first barrier. Because as we think about solutions, uh, it's, it's of, oftentimes we might think, let's just uh, make a, a cheaper product. Uh, but that may not be the thing that is, that is causing people not to consume. Uh, the second barrier is time. It just takes way too long for me uh, to, uh, to consume this product. And so in thinking about solutions, how do we reduce uh, the, the time barrier? Um, in, in our products. The third, which is the most obvious, uh, is money. Um, and so making, uh, designing a business model that can perhaps reduce the amount of money uh, people pay. And the fourth is uh, skill. Um, and so when you think about that, there are some products, and I'll talk about a couple here, um, that require a certain level of skill for people to even consume. And so oftentimes they would not even engage in consuming the products. So these are the four main barriers to um, consumption. And so how do we overcome these barriers? I think that's sort of where uh, the next main point comes into play, which is uh, that not all innovations are created equal. And I'll talk about the three types of innovations uh, as we think about it and that we wrote about in our book um, so that you begin to get a framework. Um, when you come across a new product or you come across an organization um, and you begin to assess, like, who, who are these products targeted at? Uh, you can begin to sort of categorize which bucket they fall uh, into.
And so the way we think about the value of an innovation is in its ability or its power to democratize access. Okay, and so when you think about those circles, right, there are, there's a finite number of people in the small circle, and if we target them with our products and services, it means people in other circles can't uh, have access to those products and services. And so when we think about the value of an innovation, it's how can we democratize access? How can we begin to get these products to people in other uh, circles? I'll give you a quick example. Um, so we all take for granted uh, the fact that virtually everybody here probably has a computer in their pockets. 60, 70 years ago, that was not the case. Uh, we had computers that cost millions of dollars. Um, they would fill a room as big as this. You, need, you needed highly skilled and technical people uh, to be able to operate those machines. And so just think about all those barriers. As a result of that, the people who were able to afford and use computers were the largest of organizations and universities. Um, but we, be, we, we continue to democratize access, make them less and less expensive. Now, with each democratization, the companies that came into the fold, into the industry, had to develop entirely new business models entirely new value chains and value networks, right? They had to figure out new ways of making the products, marketing, selling, servicing, and so on. And today, you have billions of computers in people's pockets all over the world. And so our ability to democratize access is essentially how we, how we assess the value of an innovation. And so there are really three types. The first type we call market-creating um, or disruptive innovations. These are innovations that transform complicated and expensive products into products that are simple and affordable so many more people can have access to it. And so an example would be the personal computer, right? Democratizing access, uh, the smartphones in our pockets, democratizing access. These innovations have been known to create growth create jobs, um, and sort of serve as a solid foundation for uh, economic development. But they need capital, because you need capital to create an entirely new way of making, servicing, selling, marketing, advertising, educating people on the product, um, and, and other things, right? So they need capital. So that's the first type of innovations. The second type are what we call sustaining innovations. These are innovations that make good products better. Uh, they're also very important because they keep companies and uh, regions, uh, um, um, geographies uh, vibrant. Uh, they keep economies vibrant. But they create little uh, net, net growth. I, I'll give an example. Um, so uh, how many folks in the room have a phone that is, say, uh, more than 10 years old. Don't be ashamed. Okay, we got one guy. <laughs> All right, five years old. Okay, so a few more people, right? Because as companies release new products, um, they add more and more features to it. Now you've got phones with two, three, four cameras. 
Um, now, those are important innovations, right? They give us access to better cameras, more memory, uh, better reception and connectivity. However, when you think about it, the phone companies don't have to hire entirely new people uh, to make, uh, to put a new camera on a phone. Or your car company doesn't have to build an entirely new manufacturing plant or a new dealership just to put heated seats on the car or to sell that. But it keeps the organization vibrant. They can put those features in, sell for a little bit more money. So they're important as well. The third types of innovation are what we call efficiency innovations. Uh, efficiency innovations are also important, but um, these have the effect of actually eliminating jobs um, and they could cause sort of a, a negative impact on the development of a region. Now, why, so, so why do people engage in them at all? Well, they free up cash flows. When you go to your manager and you say, hey, I just figured out how we could um, implement this new technology and we would, we would save 20% uh, of our cost. You know, most people don't get fired for those kinds of suggestions. Right, they're, they're good, like, okay, let's execute, let's see what happens. But when you begin to think about the impact on a region, when you include sort of automation uh, in your operations, which is something many uh, people are worried about, right? Uh, when you outsource jobs from one region to another where there's maybe lower wages, these are all efficiency innovation strategies. They free up cash flows, but they have a negative impact on, uh, on the development uh, of a region. And so when you think about these three types of innovations, um, as you step back and say, in our portfolio as an organization, are we creating new markets? You know, are we democratizing access uh, to millions or billions of people across the world that don't have access to our, our products? Those are the ones that could sort of Re give your organization a, a new birth um, and, and, and a foundation for new, new growth uh, engines. So I'll give you a quick example that many of us are familiar with. It's uh, mobile phones. We probably have overheard this. <laughs> but 20 years ago, if you told uh, someone anywhere in Africa you wanted to go sell mobile phones to them, as Mo Ibrahim did, uh, people said he was crazy, there was no way this could ever work. But he figured out a business model that could get mobile phones to the average uh, person on the continent. And so those barriers to consumption, he figured out how to reduce the access barrier, uh, the time barrier, the money, how much money you would need, and the skill, right? So he got really inexpensive mobile phones uh, figured out a way for people to purchase mobile phone minutes um, very conveniently uh, with a lot of sort of the informal retail networks. He figured all that out in his business model and was able to democratize cell phones. Uh, now today, uh, there are close to a billion phones on the continent. And it was as amazing as what he did was. I think one of the things that uh, I love most is when you create a new market, look at all the things that it sort of pulls into the economy. Other entrepreneurs, other investors who see, oh wow, I thought those people were too poor for phones, but now I see that they can actually afford it. 
they pour in with uh, capital, um, and they also copy your business model um, so that they can further democratize uh, access. So we've got many examples of innovators and entrepreneurs doing this in the book and how this can lead to transformative development, can create tons of jobs for people, um, jobs that can then give them dignity um, and help them afford other things like education, healthcare, and so on. But this isn't the only one. I mean, there are a plethora of companies now on uh, the continent um, that are really trying to democratize access. I'll talk about a few of these in the uh, four minutes I've got left. Uh, Kobo 360 is one that's leveraging digital technology uh, to make logistics a lot easier. So think about an Uber for, uh, uh, for trucking logistics systems. It's a very inefficient system right now. Um, and when you think Uber for trucking, you think, oh, all you have to do is sort of connect the, the, the truck drivers with the people who need stuff. Um, that's all you would have to do if you were in Germany or the United States. But to build this kind of business, um, not only do you leverage the digital technology, but you essentially have to build a ton of the infrastructure um, so that the connection between the driver uh, and the folks looking to move stuff uh, is actually a lot more efficient. And so one of the things the founder uh, of this company is doing is trying to redesign a, a truck, a truck that's uh, specific for the African market. You know, he, sa he said in an article he, in the Financial Times, he said, I have never been in a truck of an African uh, truck, uh, truck driver who, um, who uses the air conditioning. So why do we spend $11,000 on that system? And so he's essentially working with a car company now to redesign the truck for the, the, uh, the African road. Those are some of the things you'd have to do. But leveraging digital technology for the connection. Another one, Max.ng. Again, this is sort of like um, Uber for uh, motorcycle uh, riders. Um, I failed to mention, Kobo 360 guys just raised $30 million in the Series A led, uh, around led by Goldman Sachs. Um, Max at NG just raised, I think, about $7 million. Um, but they are also trying to make uh, riding a, a motorcycle a lot safer. When you think about the cost that goes into a car, making a car, um, parking a car, having the car sit down over 95% of its life, most people in the world outside of extremely wealthy countries can't afford that. And so motorcycles are a very convenient way uh, to move around and efficient as well. So they're trying to make that a lot safer uh, and a lot easier. Um, much like the Kobo 360 guys, they're also working with folks to see about redesigning um, a bike. Microinsure. Um, so how many folks in here have ever woken up and just felt the sudden urge to go buy insurance? Like, you're just like, man, I can't wait to call my insurance agent today. Um, okay, I, you guys are normal. <laughs> uh, so it's another company that looked at um, a majority of people in the world uh, that didn't have as much income as, say, as say we might. 
Um, but it doesn't mean they don't have accidents. It didn't mean they didn't need insurance. So this company figured out a business model to target those folks with insurance uh, by leveraging uh, their mobile phones. Uh, we write about the whole story in the book. Uh, sorry, I can't go into much more detail. Um, and another one, uh, MedSaf. Uh, MedSaf uh, is another company that looked at the drug industry and how there are many counterfeit drugs, many fakes. It's extremely expensive. And they're saying, how can we optimize um, uh, the way people purchase uh, uh, drugs um, in these markets? Um, last thing is just at the Christensen Institute, we're trying to figure out ways uh, to help entrepreneurs find, build, and scale these market-creating innovations. Um, I think one of our core guiding principles is in a quote uh, by Henry Ford. Um, and, and it says, the highest use of capital is not to make more money, uh, but it's to make money do more for the betterment uh, of life. Um, and so I want to thank you guys for your attention. It's been an honor. Um, thank you.